0: As we come this morning to hear from the living God and his word, as we come to focus on our gospel reading passage this morning, Peter's confession of Christ, I wanna ask you to, if you can, recall, remember, the first time you said, I love you. The first time you said, I love you, to someone you're not biologically related to. For some of us, that first time might involve a significant other. For others, it might be more in the realms of friendship. I was speaking with someone the other week who recounted that they had made an offer of a deep kind of friendship covenant with a mutual friend of ours, kind of an I'll be Ruth to your Naomi sort of thing. It sounded intense. The first time you say I love you and mean it, it's intense. Not necessarily the romantic stuff involved, the passion, But think of the vulnerability, the hope, the longing present in such a confession. You're putting it on the line when you say something like that. Do you remember? I think something similar is going on in our reading this morning in Peter's confession, a similar intensity, hope, longing, and vulnerability. I've often understood Peter's confession to Jesus, you are the Christ the first time that term is applied to Jesus in speech, in dialogue, in Matthew's Gospel. I've primarily understood that as this like cognitive thing, this declaration of a fact, akin to Donald Trump is the 45th president of the United States, or LeBron James is the best basketball player. And it is those kind of things, but it's said with a level of attachment or feeling that I think might have been lost on me earlier. When Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say I am, there's this personal, relational, even vulnerable quality. You who know me best, who've walked with me thus far, who do you say I am? It's wonderfully human. Those same vulnerable, personal, relational qualities apply to Peter's response. More than a declaration of fact, Alone, his words are a confession of the heart. You are the Christ, the one for whom I have hoped, the one after whom I long, the one in whom I have dared to believe. Jesus, for me, the sun rises and sets with you. I imagine for Peter, this is one of those statements that you say, and it's only as you say it that you come to believe it to be true, this barely realized, dared-after conviction. You are, I hope you are, the Messiah. We don't have time to go into all that the term Christ or Messiah captures, and, and we've done that before here at Church of the Cross. But the title describes, in brief, this singular person associated or linked with God's purposes in the world, with God's setting right of what is broken, restoring what is lost, bringing back into right relationship that which had been alienated and estranged, the Messiah, the Christ, Son of the living God, the one for whom Peter and for every Jewish heart There was longing, hope, investment, daring to hope and wait upon. Over the last few years, I've been reflecting at points upon those who've had a particular impact on me and my life, my faith in Jesus. And then using that to kind of consider, well, what does that say about me? What does that say about what I want my life to be about? And what I've kind of centered on is the adoration of Jesus. The people who have most influenced me for the cause of Christ exemplified, demonstrated to me what adoration of Jesus looks like. I think of one person in particular for whom I would say, like, I've always wanted to love Jesus the way they love Jesus. The obedience in their life the joy even in the face of suffering, the compassion and empathy, the kind of Christ-centered strength and power in their lives. That's what I long after. That's what I want to love Jesus like. That's what I want my life to be about even, demonstrating to others, to my children, to those around me. That's what I long ministry at Church of the Cross to be like, to cultivate that same kind of heart posture, that same kind of life, the adoration of Jesus, the one upon whom our hopes, our longings rest. There are all kinds of implications that unfold from this confession that Jesus is the one for whom, the one upon whom our hopes rest. But at the center, at the very core of our common life, Right? There's all kinds of implications, but at the center, at the very core of this, is this heartfelt posture, hoping, longing, loving after Jesus. The thing about saying, I love you, to someone, to making that vulnerable kind of confession, is that it's not something that most of us deduce rationally. It's not something that we sit down and figure out, for most of us. I'll grant you that we're a more academic, intellectual congregation. But most of us don't begin with a syllogism or even a list of pros and cons. One of my favorite movies of the last few years is a, a movie titled Shotgun Stories. And Believe it or not, it has things to say about love, and in that movie, one character says to their younger brother, who's considering, is this person the one or not? They say, you've got to decide if she's the one you are going to love. And you love her. Decide. Choose. It's a great line. And in a a world that can be overly romantic and sentimental, where where people can be paralyzed by indecision about commitment, it's this helpful corrective. I, I think I've quoted it in pastoral settings with people. But for most of us, that conviction that this is the one whom we love, It's something that emerges organically, right, as we share life with one another. It has, at least, begins there. There's a chemical, chemistry-related aspect to it. I think something similar has happened to Peter here. This is not something flesh and blood revealed. It's not something he figured out on his own. It's something that arose organically as he kept company with Christ. Like I said, I suspect it's a confession that only crystallized finally in this moment. You are the Christ. It's something that emerged out of experience with Jesus, walking and talking, seeing the integrity of who Jesus was the whole of his life, something the Father revealed to him in that setting. Writing in 1933, Scottish preacher and theologian James Stewart had this to say about Jesus. Women and men felt when they encountered Jesus that here was one who believed in them, even when they had ceased to believe in themselves, one who was quite sure that they and he together could yet make something big and fine and clean of life. And with that, hope that had been dead came alive again. And the way for the miracle of forgiving love was open. Jesus, by his very attitude to them, made the fact of forgiveness credible. For they felt dimly, no doubt at first, but always with growing clearness, that the love which had followed them down to the depths and now stood by them in their shame was the love of God himself. Embodied, organically provoking, creating this conviction, cultivating this adoration of Jesus. You are the Christ, son of the living God. This is Peter's confession, the hope, however dimly seen, emerging out of his nearness to Jesus. This slowly dawning revelation. Of precisely who Jesus was and all that that might mean for Peter, for his hopes and fears, for the hearts of his people, for all of creation. This is the one singularly associated with God's good purposes, uniquely embodying God's grace and goodness on the earth, confirming the promise of God's presence and faithfulness. A confession, of allegiance, a confession of the heart. In his song, Jesus Land, the the singer-songwriter Ben Folds imagines Jesus in present day walking through the Bible Belt of the American South. And he describes Jesus witnessing this landscape marked by billboards quoting things you'd never say. This song has felt freshly relevant in our current situation. I've had conversations with many of you who, on social media and in the news, have expressed or seen things that have caused you to express deep confusion and frustration about how the name of Jesus has been used or misused. Frustration and confusion. There's a great deal to process there, to name, There's the need for humility and wisdom, for space to lament and to confess. But where I think there may be a challenge for us specifically as a community in this place is not to allow our love for Jesus to grow cold, to not allow our vision of him to be obstructed, to not allow those realities confusing and frustrating as they might be to keep us from keeping company with Jesus. I believe there is a specific challenge for us to grow in the kind of heart posture that Peter's confession expresses, to be captivated by Jesus, to be wooed and won over to him, to be convinced, convicted of his truth, beauty, and goodness, to be rooted in him As a community and corporately, personally, we need to grow as a people for whom the sun rises and sets with Jesus. And that conviction, that heart posture, can only come as we keep company with him. It's not something we can conjure up in ourselves. It's not something that we can grin and bear and make happen on our own. It's only as we draw near to Jesus that the Father, by the Holy Spirit, reveals him in his startling glory, grace, and goodness. I am thoroughly convinced that to see Jesus is to be won over to him. To come to know him is to come to love him. Those that walk away, those that reject Christ, who don't come to share Peter's claim, I am convinced, have not seen, have not known. Pastorally, I've been in conversations where people walk away and they say, I don't believe it anymore. I'm not convinced. And I am convinced that that something has been lost in translation. That my capacity, perhaps, to express the truth of who he is is limited. That they're not able to see clearly. Because to see him, to know him, is to love him. So let us keep company with him. Let us draw near with faith. Another thing about saying I love you is that it changes things. The friendship, the relationship is not quite the same afterward. Hopefully for the better, not always the case, but there is no going back. My friend who made that kind of Ruth and Naomi declaration to this other person described how how things were a little bit awkward afterward. Things were different. They'd changed. Things change for Peter here. His confession changes things. It, It specifically changes things for him. And perhaps in a more substantive way than we might imagine. When we confess Jesus, when we declare the truth about who he is, when we take on this heart posture, it has this performative effect. It's transformative. It affects a change in us, a fresh allegiance, a new identity and community, a different way of being in the world. This morning, I I wanna sum up the changes for Peter as a kind of new trajectory in life. He receives a new shape to his life, a new trajectory. In verse 19, Jesus says this curious and and much debated thing to Peter. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There's this giving of authority to Peter here. In light of the confession he's made, the, the posture he has. Something new for Peter. But this isn't like this bequeathing of a superpower. It's not as though now Peter gets to say what heaven, what God does. That has it exactly backwards. As though Peter now would have the control over the actions of God or heaven. The verb used here, this is a little bit technical, but the verb used here is best understood as a future perfect. It's awkward, In English, but the sense seems to be what you bind or loose on earth shall have been bound in heaven already. That is, in light of your confession, Peter, in light of your posture of devotion, your trust in Jesus, your actions, your life, your words are brought in now into alignment with the very heartbeat of heaven, with the very purposes of God. The trajectory of his life is changed by this confession, by this declaration of his adoration. His whole life is brought then into alignment with what God is doing in the world. This is what happens when we come to confess who Jesus is. This is what happens when we name the truth of who he is. Not simply as a declaration of fact, but as this heartfelt posture of wonder and trust, things are changed, we are changed, brought into a new alignment. Rachel Means, a member of our community a few weeks ago, uh, put me onto this worship song by a man named William McDowell. Yeah, the song is Spirit Break Out." you can listen to it on YouTube. And it's a really wonderful song. It's powerful to watch people worshiping in this kind of way. And there's this particular line and it's a crescendo in the song. And I'm sure there's musical reasons for why it's so powerful that are beyond me. But there's this shift in the song at this point where McDowell and those he's leading begin to cry out, begin to call out, King Jesus, we're lifting your name high. And they're doing it not as this declaration, this simple declaration of fact, but they're doing it from the heart, from the very core of who they're being who, from the very core of their being. And every time I listen to that song, I have a sense of something moving, something shifting, something changing, as I hear and receive the power of that declaration. McDowell also with the worship leader Darlene Sheck has done a version of that song Waymaker from Nigeria that we've sung here at Church of the Cross. And again, there's this power in the declaration of who he is that I experience listening to that song, especially that version. I wonder if you have a similar kind of sense of language or kind of a particular image of who Jesus is that, most, that might most resonate with you. Cling to it in this season. Has your love grown cold, perhaps? Do you find it difficult to imagine big and fine and clean things that could be made of life, your life, the world around you? My basic encouragement to us this morning would be to name Jesus for who he is perhaps even in a halting sort of way with conviction half-realized. But in faith, naming, trusting that he is who he says he is, that he is who Peter says he is in our reading this morning. Name Jesus as the one after whom you long, the one upon whom all our hopes depend the one who uniquely reveals, embodies God's good promises and purposes in the world. And do so as the beginning point, a fresh start perhaps in keeping company with Christ, a fresh start in aligning yourself with him and with the heart of heaven. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.